You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning. Welcome to the show, wherever you are in the world. It is Wednesday, the 18th of May. It's a beautiful, sunny day here in TW11. Loads to get through in the next half an hour, 40 minutes or so. Much of that pertains to some wonderful racing around the corner. The Preakness this Saturday, we get Michelle Yu's preview. We've got the Derby a couple of weeks away, and we talk about the final 21 that have just come out at the latest entry stage. There's still entry stages to come, of course. And I'll be talking to David Menuisier about a lively outsider for him in the derby. Uh, are the racecourses trying to make themselves a tote, a pari mutual monopoly? That's the question being posed by some anxious bookmakers in the betting ring at the moment. We'll be speaking to Simon, not a betting ring analyst, and also RCA uh, Chief Executive David Armstrong, who responds to that. Also news that Paddy Hayes, the Irish trainer, is set to appeal against his suspension for a single and very important case of neglect of a horse in his care. We'll be analysing that in a few moments' time, but news has just dropped on the Irish Horse Racing Regulatory Board's website that Kieran Cotter, the trainer, uh, has received censure for a prohibited substance. That prohibited substance was cobalt. Cobalt, one of the most talked about and on trend, for want of a better phrase, prohibited substances in worldwide racing through the last decade. And cobalt has reared its head again. It is a, an essential micronutrient in horses, but you cannot use it on race day or horses cannot race on cobalt, even though it is permitted in training because it has a performance-enhancing effect. Um, the detail, however, Lydia Hislop, of this case is quite startling in places, and I know you and I have had to speed read this. <laughs> yes, okay, so um, this was uh, from the Referrals Committee, and that referral um, arose from a race that Slade Runner, trained by Kieran Cotter, won at Dundalk on the 20th of January 2021. And that horse was found to have cobalt in excess of the internationally recognised threshold. Um, as a result of that, the Referrals Committee have moved to disqualify Slade Runner and they've also fined Cotter €2,500. But there was more because uh, following that uh, adverse finding, there was an unannounced inspection of his yard on the 3rd of February 2021. And from this, a number of charges arose rose. Um, the referrals committee noted that it was an extremely aggravating aspect of this case that no medicines register, register had been maintained for a number of years prior to February 2021 by Kieran Cotter and this is in respect to Slade Runner and all other horses. Um, notwithstanding that it is clear from the evidence presented that medicines were regularly administered to the horses in his care says the referrals committee. They state that in their view the evidence in regard to the medicines register established beyond all reasonable doubt, not just on the balance of probabilities, that the duties and obligations placed on Mr Cotter have been entirely ignored by him and there was clear evidence of the attitude taken by Mr Cotter in respect of the use of the medicines. They noted that the IHRB had raised a number of complaints which they found substantiated and listed the following as a selection of these matters. 
Um, used syringes and needles were left lying in a number of locations in the premises, which Mr. Cotter stated he was not aware that they were there and didn't know where they came from, and he said he never used them. The presence also of a large number of unused syringes and needles in the barn. The apparent general use of veterinary medicines, other than under veterinary supervision, which suggested that Mr. Cotter was self-medicating some of the horses in his care. The administration via intravenous injection of medicines without veterinary oversight, contrary to proper procedures, reckless disregard to the potential effects or consequences to administering the cobalt drench to Slade Runner in particular. They did not find Kieran Cotter in breach of the rules for a possession of illegal substances in his yard, and they did not find him in breach of rule 2738, but noted that that was of a serious nature. Um, and the, what they did find him um, uh, guilty of was they imposed a fine of €5,000 in respect to a breach of Rule 1481 and that's that the trainer is responsible for everything connected with the welfare training and running of all horses under the care of the trainer and that Slade Runner had been in, administered cobalt the day before the race. Furthermore they imposed a fine of €20,000 in respect of a breach of Rule 1483 in that he had failed to maintain his medicines register, failed to ensure that he and each of his staff having access to medicines were fully conversant with the rules and regulations relating to prohibited substances and they too failed to be responsible for the safekeeping and administration of medicines having failed securely to lock the medicines cabinet. They also awarded costs of €7,500 against him. So that's a total of €27,500 in fines and 7500 in costs. A very significant case, a very significant sanction. Yeah, the, the other interesting point in here, well, there's lots, actually. Go to the IHRB website if you want the whole lot, ihrb.ie. In relation to the operational activity at the yard, Mr. Cotter said that the majority of the work was carried out by himself and Mr. Danny Murphy. He explained that four years ago, he linked up with Mr. Murphy, who had international experience training horses. Mr. Cotter said Mr. Murphy introduced him to some Australian training methods and was able to attract new owners and investment into the training establishment, which was a positive move, unfortunate choice of words. As prior to this, he was training third division horses. Um, yeah, that'll raise a few eyebrows as well. Well, I mean, as you say, we've just skim read this this uh, notice. It's only just been published. There's going to be a lot of questions arising from the detail of the evidence. Absolutely. And you highlight just one of them. Right, Lydia, uh, the Paddy Hayes case, um, equally significant and at times pretty alarming. He has announced his intention to appeal today. Um, that was broken by the Irish Times. Just remind us a little of the of the history here. Uh, yes, so uh, Paddy Hayes had his licence suspended for 15 months by the Irish Horse Racing Regulatory Board and this followed uh, a case that caused him to come before the NACE Circuit Court for a single case of animal neglect, a horse that's referred to in the IHRB case as a four-year-old grey gelding, um, a requinto gelding. Um, he, at court um, last year, um, this uh, ultimately ended in a three-month suspended prison sentence and Paddy Hayes was ordered to pay £5,000 to a local animal charity in Kildare. Um, this relates to um, a situation in February of 2020 where a passerby um, saw um, a horse in an emaciated state, reported it to the guardie. The guardie went to the scene and apparently um, a vet was summoned and the horse was found to be in an emaciated state with a cardiac murmur and prolapsed penis 
Um, shortly afterwards, the animal was euthanized because of his poor prognosis, prognosis for recovery. Um, this uh, eventually reached the IHRB referrals committee. Um, and on Thursday of, of last week, they decided to give a 15 uh, month sentence. And this was uh, under Rule 272, which is uh, bringing a horse, uh, bringing horse racing into disrepute. There were other, other um, more inverted commas minor breaches, but this was the, the main point. And um, at the time, um, the, the main, the only aggravating factor was the state of that horse. And in the details of the case, um, Dr. Lynn Hillier, who's the IHRB chief veterinary officer and head of anti-doping, um, outlined the details of the uh, photographs of the horse and the information that she received as a result of the guardie attending the scene on the 24th of February, 2020. So what this means is that Paddy Hayes can continue to train uh, pending the, the result of the appeal. It's difficult on what we know now to work out exactly how he's going to attack this and whether it is really simply a means of, of attempting to get his sentence reduced um, on the basis of previous good character, I suppose. Well, I mean, he's already received mitigation for that. So he, he'll have to, his legal team will have to find whether the referrals committee erred in, in handing out the breaches or erred in the sanction that they gave. But as I mentioned, there was that one aggregating, a aggravating uh, factor, which I'll come back to the details in a moment. Um, but there were um, mitigating factors as well, several of them. The first is that, um, and this, I'm reading from the referrals reasons, Mr. Hayes put his hand up straight away, accepted his guilt, um, accepted his responsibility and immediately had an awareness of the consequences of his actions or lack of options, was fully cooperative, no previous disciplinary record, stable inspections at other times, including unannounced ones, were extremely positive. This particular case they viewed was out of character for, for Mr Hayes. Uh, they noted that his reputation suffered considerable damage, as a conviction in a criminal court will do, that he'd lost a certain amount of affection with which he'd otherwise be held in the racing community, and that he suffered considerable mental health difficulties. Um, and this particular incident um, that uh, this, math, this revolves around is one of a confluence of other um, circumstances that were outlined in the case but were medically sensitive. Dr Jennifer Pugh uh, outlined them. She is the um, IHRB senior medical officer. She outlined them to the referrals committee um, but they were not, they're not reproduced obviously because they are uh, medically sensitive and it concludes he doesn't offer this as an excuse for his failures to look after the horse in question. He doesn't offer any excuse for that and we res respect that, it, that that is so. So he has already received mitigation for that, that element uh, of it and if I refer to um, the Leinster leader, which is where I'm getting these quotes from, that this says that um, the court heard that, that Gardy and a vet attended the scene after a complaint. Sergeant Brian Jacob told the court that the horse had very poor body condition, was suffering from cardiac disease, was malnourished and had ribs, ribs protruding through its back. There was also no bedding, water or food present, the court was told. Judge Desmond Zayden said the alleged state of the injuries is appalling. Um, Judge Zayden was told that Horse Racing Ireland examined the rest of Mr Hayes' yard and found all other horses were well cared for. So these, this matter came to a conclusion in the courts in December 2021. Mm. Eventually it's reached the IHRB. There are a couple of other interesting points about it. The court mentions that there was no passport for the yeah. horse. And also, I mean, given that it's a four-year-old gelding, um, was, was he chipped? Um, and there's no 
mention of the wider breeding of the horse he's just referred to as a Quinto gelding. So underneath the sort of main lines of the case, there are also some unanswered questions underneath it. Uh, and don't you think there's a, an undercurrent here that everybody in the sport, whether they be in Ireland, England or anywhere else in the world, needs to consider? And that's that, not just in this case, animals that, that we need to be caring for and behaving responsibly towards are slipping through the system. Mm. Now, I would take it on trust because I don't know Paddy Hayes and everybody tells me he's previously of good reputation and he's a great horseman, etc. You You can take that on trust quite quite happily but you know he's held his hands up as being the person ultimately responsible for this horse even if there are other people who may be culpable who who aren't involved but um isn't it a wider point for the industry as a whole to to realize how many how many horses are one way or another just slipping through the net slipping through our fingers in terms of our ability to to care for them properly Definitely. Um, I think that is a, a, a huge concern and one of the primary issues that is um, facing horse racing around the world. Uh, we, we, we need to be responsible for the horse. The, the horse racing industry needs to be responsible for the horses that they breed and what happens to them for the rest of their life. Um, and that needs to be a responsibility of everybody who's, whose um, hands a horse passes through. Uh, but you know, and and at the moment the the safeguards aren't aren't sufficient i mean um paddy hay says that he'd gone to see the horse 3 days prior to uh, when the the member of the public um caused called called call the alert so and and uh, you know he he obviously hasn't mentioned any other people in the evidence that he has he has given so far uh, in terms of responsibility exactly that um nick rust when he was um chief executive of the british horse racing authority often used to talk about cradle to grave Mm. When the industry worldwide can trace every horse from the cradle to the grave, it will find itself in a much more robust position when it comes to so articulating to the wider world uh, what it is and what it stands for. Totally, um, and it needs to it needs to make more strides. I mean, I, I acknowledge that um, movement has been made, progress has been made in these areas in many different countries, but it needs to go faster and better. Now, you might remember a couple of Fridays ago here on the pod uh, when Lydia was with me that day as well. We spoke about a possible development in the betting ring, which would mean a change in the way that the bookmakers' pitches were administered. And there was some concern about the liberal uh, spreading of Brit bets, so tote terminals, around the racecourse areas that bookmakers, regular bookmakers, wouldn't be able to get to, and the effect then that might have. And this was all contingent on who was going to administer those pitches well Simon Knott has been in the betting ring most of his life you'll know him as the the interviewer behind Star Sports betting people he's worked for many bookmakers and now spends more of his time in the press room he's been across this story for a little while now Simon it looks as though what we speculated a couple of Fridays ago is starting to become reality so just remind us what what you believe is now going to happen Hello, Nick. Um, well, from what I was told originally, uh, the uh, AGT, which is Administration of Gambling on Track, which have been um, looking after the bookmakers' pitches and interests for 20 years, the tender came up, um, you know, to throw an open to anybody else. And uh, the story is that an amalgamation of BritBet and RDT, and RDT are the people that... Um, service the bookmakers computers and other technical people and BritBet obviously are the um, infrastructure behind the tote have won that tender 
which means the worryingly for the bookmakers that potentially their direct opposition now control where they bet. Also, AGT, the main role, once they pitch the bookmakers in, they, they provide the betting ring managers, which d- d- talk, you know, deal with any dispute that might arise on the race course, which is very, you know, which is imperative. And also, they've got twenty years' experience, and you can't really train that. So that's the other aspect of this. So you're looking at the the what you believe to be the worst case scenario for for the bookmakers. Uh, which which they're believing is 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 a, a road to an on course tote monopoly, on course pool betting monopoly. Is that what people are suspecting might happen? I think people are worried in the long term because already Britbet have been able to they appear to have been able to put pitches in prime positions that money can't buy, i.e., the racecourse bookmakers. Which means the more these proliferate around the racecourse, the less reason there is for anybody to come from there their lawn or their box or wherever they are to the bet you have to actually have to want to come to the betting ring to have a bet that's the only reason to go there apart from the wonderful atmosphere and color um so if these pitches proliferate less and less people the fear is will come to the betting ring and the betting ring will you know just sort of wither away that's the worry when does this come into effect? I think the, I think the, the, ten, the uh, contract is up for AGT on the th- end of August, so it'll be the 1st of September. The new, uh, the, the, But it, the, the lack of transparency is worrying everybody as well, which makes the conspiracy theories in the, you know, sort of more rife on the race course because there appears to be very little publicity. There was an online thing, the racing post, Bill Barber did, but there's nothing been in the racing post. And the other worry is that, that it seems to be shrouded in mystery, the f- sort of figures for the winning tender, etc. So, you know, that, that um, sort of opacity seems to be fueling the, f- the flames, if you like, for a worry for bookmakers. I mean, the other thing, you know, the, 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 the worries the bookmakers is that the pitches that, um, that BritBet put up, they look like bookmakers. So they've, they've, they've been created in a way that any novice punter would think that they are betting with a bookmaker. And there only appears to be one reason why you would make do imitation bookmakers pictures, if you know what I mean. So, that, you know, that's the other, the other slightly sinister thing that they were they're worried about. So the betting ring is a little concerned and um, understandably pretty jittery, uh, as you heard from Simon Knott there. The RCA, the Racecourse Association, uh, is the uh, umbrella body that's responsible for awarding this contract. David Armstrong's their chief executive and uh, joins me now. Uh, David, can you can you understand why why the betting ring is anxious given the given the apparent conflict of interest here? Well, I, I can't understand why people might think that, but actually, what we've been very careful to do, Nick, in this process is to ensure that any potential conflicts are carefully managed. Um, the tender process, which AGT were part of, as well as as Britbet, etc., um, was very much focused on key issues and key attributes that the different bidders would bring forward. And in that process, there was a clear winner. But before awarding the contract, we were very careful to discuss how any conflicts would be managed in such a way so as not to to create any issues in the betting ring. So what is it about the combined bid between the technology company RDT and BritBet, the racecourse arm of the tote, what what was it about their bid that was attractive in terms of managing the best interests of all the bookmakers in the betting ring? Well, I can't go into all the details of the submissions, Nick. Um, there was a, a group put together to carry out the tender process 
different attributes and qualities were were selected as being important and the bidders were measured against those um and in that process uh adt britbeth uh came out as the clear winner but why can't you tell me exactly why they were the winner well, because the terms of individual bids and the way in which the, the selection process is done is, is, is confidential. I think all parties that put forward a bid would want that to be the case. Uh, can you say what they will bring to the table, in your, in your opinion? Uh, how will the betting ring be better? Well, it's, 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 as I said, Nick, it was measured across a number of different attributes, so it's a little difficult to pick out one way or another. Um, but obviously both organisations have significant experience working on the race course, as do AGT, of course, um, and, we, and we think that collectively they'll bring forward a better solution. Are, are race courses actively seeking to sort of push those BritBet terminals into, into so many spaces that the, the public effectively have little choice but to bet uh, with the on-course tote? No, that's not the case, Nick. We believe in the, the, the importance of the betting ring as part of the whole racing experience is highly, highly valuable, and we want to protect that and for that to continue uh, in, in healthily into the future. But obviously the, there's a feeling at present, and you know, we've talked quite a bit, you and I have talked about you know, cashless race courses and the effect of COVID on, on on-course bookmakers who didn't get any relief from the government at the time, really, or any meaningful relief. Uh, at the time it's an unsettling uncertain time for them isn't it and and do you do you feel um, that the rca has just as much responsibility for for them as as all the other stakeholders and constituent parts who make up any any race day no we do we we do regard them as a very important stakeholder uh look i think the thing that we're all focused on is as i know you are as well is the impact of lower crowds and the impact of course that has on the on-course bookmaker um so you know, they'll be a beneficiary of work we do to try to improve the crowd's position as well. But I, w- I would have thought that just, just like racecourse managers are looking at their issues, the issue of the lower crowds would probably be the biggest issue for the on-course bookmaker as well. I, I, I'm, unfortunately, I haven't got about half an hour to ask you how, how you're going to go about sorting out um, reduction in crowds. But seeing, seeing as you've mentioned it, York down, Chester down, Sandown down, even though advanced sales certainly at York were were up so some head scratching at the rca what, what have you guys been just discussing over the last few days in that respect well i think we've we've looking at so looking at the figures what we are seeing is that uh particularly general admission crowds are lower than we would expect although as you say advanced sales at york were very good um so what what it seems to be driven by in my view is the general economic pressure that everyone finds themselves under we will have heard on the radio this morning that inflation is now at 9%, the highest for 40 years or something like that. And the impact of that on discretionary spend is really being felt. And we probably noticed that trend picking up, let's, let's say, after entry and is continuing now. Again, sales at big events you know, are still very strong. But the, the, the next tier down are struggling. And uh, I think I mentioned when I came on your show, actually, the, the work we're doing with what we're calling the consideration campaign for our marketing campaign through the summer is now even more important. Okay, that was David Armstrong from the RCA. And before him, you heard from Simon Knott. Now, we had a little bit of this uh, a couple of Fridays ago, Lydia, as I said at the beginning of the interview with Simon. Uh, if I was a bookmaker listening to David there 
Um, I'd have to take his assurances on trust, but I'm not sure I'd be resting an awful lot easier that the racecourses weren't moving in a certain direction. I, I agree, I'm afraid. I mean, for whatever reason, whether, whether David Armstrong either won't or can't really give a straight answer to your question, it doesn't really give any reassurance that racecourses aren't moving towards an on-course tote monopoly or making the, the situation, um, the, the trading situation for racecourse bookmakers so difficult that, that, they, that they themselves withdraw. I mean, it's allied in with this becoming a cashless racecourse where we know that part of the charm of uh, racecourse bookmaking and having a bet in the ring is to be uh, putting down cash and to be receiving cash when you win. And um, I think racecourses are undervaluing uh, what on-course bookmakers are bringing to the feel of a race day. Um, and I just... Where are where are where are punters in all of this? Where is the consideration of of the of the racecourse customer? Uh, again, I feel that the consideration of those people is far too down the list of priorities. Um, if of course um, Nigel Roddis, who's the managing director of Britbet, he has been uh, quoted um, on this um, by Bill Barber in the Racing Post previously, um, and he said that they won't be involved in determining pitches. That remains a matter between racecourses and bookmakers. But he also, he does refer to satellite areas and, uh, and, and the, the um, being responsible for, for those and to make, making sure that, they, that the, any agreements reached regarding satellite areas, areas are adhered to. And then asked about, you know, how, how they were able to get this tender how they were able to be um the victorious ones in this in this process he refers to uh, pragmatism and in time a better use of technology a bit like sat satellite areas and pragmatism um there's a lot of uh, underlying detail there to be unpacked isn't there which i think bookmakers are concerned about 21 stand their ground for the Kazoo Derby. We've still got a supplementary stage to go, Lydia. thought it might be a few more than that. There were only two left in by Charlie Appleby, uh, the normal clutch of O'Briens. Some, some interesting ones, though, and some notable absentees. Yes, and you and I were speculating between ourselves whether there might be any Charlie Appleby supplementaries, and you suggested one that might be, might be quite good. Yes, the uh, runaway Newmarket Stakes win a nation's pride. It's interesting, complete the instinctive instant difference of opinion when William Buick walked in he went he's proper he's proper he is and I went he's not in the derby and he said he might be soon when I talked to Charlie about five minutes later he was pretty lukewarm on the idea <laughs> right but given I know they like um Nahani very much and the second string walk of stars is a, a perfectly worthy uh, entrant you'd think that they'd want a you'd want they'd want another string to their bow wouldn't they I think so, because I mean, none of these are are particularly stand out for them. Um, Walk of Stars looked at best raw when beaten by United Nations in the Linkfield Derby trial, and Nahani looked rugged when winning the um, Epsom Blue Ribbon trial, um, uh, beating Grand Alliance in that. Uh, so yeah, I mean, Nations Pride, who absolutely thumped Huya Mal by seven lengths and is progressing all the time. And that was a, a 
a really good step forward, you would think that he would be a worthy addition to their Derby roster. Um, and it's not the kind of hand that they got. It's not like, you know, having native trail and Caribus, is it? You know, I think, it, I think it's, it's bringing in a, a, a third string, a very talented third string would be interesting. You know, stamina for um, a stiff mile and a half is not absolutely guaranteed on the downside. Whether that is playing in Charlie Appleby's mind, I don't know. But uh, it'd be interest, interesting to see what they decide to do. Well, it's not normally until deeper into the season that I start making my weekly phone calls to Sussex-based trainer David Menwizier because he likes to build momentum as the season goes. But there might be quite a bit to look forward to because we love a trainer who has a, a bold plan and a bold plan he has with a horse who is one of those 21 that remain in the derby called Sir Bob Parker. It's embarrassing, David, but obviously I had to look him up because all his runs have been in France so far because you've been taking advantage of his of his of his French pedigree. Tell me a little bit more about him and and how good he is. Yeah, look, uh, he's he's a magnificent horse. Uh, he's a very very good looking horse from a, a mighty French family. Um, his dam Pacific is from the family of Chiquita and Magic Wand and. Uh, uh, a lot of a lot of uh, good middle distance um, horses. Um, I managed to buy him at the Arcana October sales, and uh, yeah, he, he ran second last year uh, on his debut at Saint Cloud. Then he won at Chantilly this year, first time out, and uh, ran third in the Greyfull uh, ten days ago. And um, I thought he was probably uh, slightly unlucky uh, due to the uh, circumstances of the race. Uh, they just went a bit too slow for him, you know, the first five furlongs. And uh, and, and started to uh, to sprint uh, three furlongs out. And, and he, he literally got done by horses with a bit more toe than him. You know, but it, it was a really good run. Having, having finished the, the last three furlongs in 34-71, is a, is a very big horse, so it's very hard for horses to quicken that strong, you know, in the last furlong, in the last three furlongs. Yeah. Now you're not you're not someone who tends to overface their horses or put them in races they shouldn't be in. So what's the thinking behind the the Derby entry, and to what extent do you believe he's he's up to this at this stage of his career? But to be fair, it really wasn't the plan um, because the plan was to 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 run him in the Jockey Club. Uh, that was the idea of going back to 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 France to run in the Gaffield. But I think um, I, well, I've learned uh, a few things that day. First thing, um, look the pace the pace of the race. I think he, he wants a nice regular pace uh, throughout. Which he, he, he might be more likely to get uh, at Epsom than 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 Chantilly, you know, if it's a big field and and he gets knocked about or what have you. Um, and also, he, he he really ran like a like a mile for a horse um, at Saint Cloud because even when he was headed, he, he still ran a bit green, but then he picked up again towards the line, and I thought, you know, if if I run him, if I run him in the French Derby, I'm gonna run okay, but I may I may run sixth or seventh or fourth or something like that, but I don't think I can win the race. If I go to Epsom, I'm not. <laughs> I don't want anybody to start sweating, you know. But uh, if I run it, I'm running at Epsom. I think the mile four will play in his favour and 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 a very strong pace. Now, uh, the two main questions about the Derby are. Uh, is he going to handle the track? He's such a big leggy horse. 
And second thing, is he good enough? And uh, I can't answer that. It will be uh, it will be for him to answer on the day. Okay, but he's an intended runner. And have you got a jockey book for him? Uh, not yet. I mean, we're still uh, we're still trying to think about. Uh, what would be the best uh, the the best jockey to ride him? Uh, we haven't uh, we haven't uh, made a, a plan as such yet. We've got a few ideas, but yeah, I mean, uh, I'm I'm hopeful that by the end of the week, we'll have uh, a name to offer. David Menuisier there with Derby Dreams, and we are thinking about classics all over the world, not just the Irish 1000, 2000 guineas that take place at the Curragh this weekend, but also the Preakness, which is where I'm headed later this afternoon. Uh, Michelle Yu uh, was working alongside me on the NBC broadcast of the Kentucky Derby, and she's been casting her eye over the middle leg of the Triple Crown. Thanks, Lucky. Looking forward to the Preakness coming up this weekend. And while we felt the sting of losing the Kentucky Derby winner, maybe he didn't factor into your handicapping anyways. And so we're left with still a pretty good competitive field. It's highlighted by Epicenter, who was the runner-up in the Kentucky Derby. And this is really his race to lose. I like the fact that he showed even more versatility in the Kentucky Derby. He can come from further off the pace as needed. And he draws beautifully here towards the outside. All you people that were complaining about his in Inside post position in the Kentucky Derby. Need complain no more. He's going to be able to eyeball all of these horses to his inside. His top competition, I think, is going to be coming from early voting, who I expect to see out on the front end for Chad Brown. Chad Brown has used this angle before. Wood Memorial skipped the Derby, win the Preakness when he won with Cloud Computing just a few years back, also for Clarevich Stables. So early voting is going to play Come and Catch Me. I love the way this Colt looks when he rolls on his. He's got a very high cruising speed, and it is going to have to be Epicenter trying to reel in early voting. However, I do like the fact that Epicenter has had the longer race under his belt. Secret Oath is going to be coming in here as well off of her comfortable victory in the Kentucky Oaks. It was only a couple years back that we had Swiss Skydiver win the Preakness, and of course, Rachel Alexandra won it the year that we had a 50-1 to Kentucky Derby winner in Mind That Bird. Now, Secret Oath does not have to best the Kentucky Derby winner, just the runner-up. I think her keys lay strictly in her athleticism and her ability to do anything her rider asks. I thought Saez rode her really nicely last time. He'll be aboard again, but she will have to step up her game. Last time she faced boys in the Arkansas Derby, she was third, and she was pretty well beaten by Cyberknife and Barbara Road. And I think that Epicenter is a better horse than both of those, so she is going to have to jump up as far as uh, talent goes, if she wants to take home the flowers here. Uh, Creative Ministers, the fresh face on the scene. He's coming out of an allowance win on the Kentucky Derby undercard. I love his running style for this race because I think there's going to be speed up front. If he sits close to his 10 to 1 and he can improve just a little bit, he could be right there in the thick of things. I don't necessarily love the, hey, let's all of a sudden go into a grade 1 when it wasn't something you were planning on, but the horse is doing really well and you don't get the biggest, deepest field outside of the top 3. So, why not give Creative Minister a shot on your tickets if he's 10 to 1 or higher? Uh, other than that, Simplification can certainly hit the board like he does in the majority of his races. Bottom side of your exotics, I would be surprised to see him win. Although I do like his rail draw for him because he can just kind of make one run, hopefully right up the fence. 
Other than that, I think Fenwick has probably no shot in here whatsoever. I think his maiden win looks like an anomaly rather than a light bulb situation. I think that Happy Jack probably needs to return to try a non-two. All of his stakes races, he's just been decimated. Even when he ran third in short fields, he was still beaten double digits. Armagnac was an allowance winner last time out, but didn't beat anybody. And his two tries against Greatest Stakes Company leave a lot to be desired. And Skippy Longstocking, the best I can say for him is he does have a local work over the track, which was very nice, but he's already been beaten by early voting. I think he does his best running close to the lead. I don't think he's fast enough to be in front of these guys. So looking forward to this Saturday, I think that we're going to see Epicenter coming from just off the pace of early voting for the win with Secret Oath to round out your top three. Best of luck. Michelle, thank you very much. Now it's to Hong Kong and J.A. McGrath. Hi, Nick. A significant weekend coming up in Hong Kong racing when the last Group 1 of the season is run at Cha Tin on Sunday. The Hong Kong Champions and Cheetah Cup over a mile and a half has long been one of the traditional features of the season. One for the stayers, as mile and a half horses are termed in Hong Kong. And this year, there is more than the usual passing interest in the race. One major reason is the emergence of a decent staying prospect in Senior Toba an ex-Chris Waller horse imported to Hong Kong by Casper Founds. Senor Toba looks the business. He's a grey son of Toronado out of a Teofilo mare. He won the Queen Mother Memorial Cup at Sha Tin a couple of weeks ago, and Founds is talking him up. That's significant. The trainer also has Zabrowski and Columbus County in the race. They have good form credentials, so he has a good line on the form for this race, even though... The Hong Kong Gold Cup winner, Russian Emperor, will be a popular pick with punters and tipsters. There's the usual Happy Valley nine-race card today in Hong Kong. Casper will be pinning his hopes on Charming Steed in a Class 4 sprint over six furlongs. Race 4, number 3, Charming Steed, who will have number 7, See You Again, as the one to beat. But my best on the card is Gang of Brothers, race five, number seven. He's uh, trained by Paul O'Sullivan, whose uh, team are in really cracking form of late. He's fired in six winners uh, in the last four weeks, which is really good for a small stable. So Gang of Brothers, who's a maiden, he's naught from five in Hong Kong. However, he shows tremendous potential and he was twice a trial winner in New Zealand before he was exported to Hong Kong. So he's had plenty of experience. I think race five, number seven, Gang of Brothers, better the day, the day uh, with number five, Hercules, and number two, Harmony and Home, has the ones to beat, the hardest to beat. In race nine, the finale, have a look at number four, Campione. This is a really interesting import from Italy. Uh, he was three for three there. He won a group three in Milan among those wins. Uh, he's also won in Hong Kong, quick, quickly acclimatised. He's gone up eight pounds and a class for his last start win, but he's uh, fully deserving that. So race nine, number four, Campione to beat seven. Lucky with you. That's all from Hong Kong this week. I'll have more for you next week. Okay, right, let's just give you advance notice of the next Thoroughbid sale, which is Friday the 10th of June, online sale, uh, and a couple of high-profile names here. This could be quite interesting. Will Kinsey, Thoroughbid founders, with me now after a busy week at uh, Doncaster Sales. Uh, Will, what do you got for us? Yeah, look, we big thank you to Andrew and Kate Brooks 
they've entrusted us with the sale of uh, two very high-class horses in Rouge Vif and Grade One winner Itchy Feet. So I say massive thank you for them to you know giving us a chance and opportunity to do this, and also to James Richardson and the team in securing these horses. Okay, so they form part of the the auction, or are, are they the auction themselves? No, they are just two high-profile horses uh, that we've got entered already. Entries for the sale uh, are open till Monday the 30th of May, so still plenty of opportunities. Uh, the sale this time takes place on a Friday, not a Sunday, starting at 9am and um, closing from 12pm. So that's something slightly different from our normal Sunday evening uh, sales. We just thought we'd try something different. Yeah, so horses that are entered in this sale will qualify for the Point to Rules bonus, uh, which Grandero Bellows won that's already won the 5k uh, bonus in Ireland having having graduated from a point to point an interesting victory club actually runs later today for Dan Skelton and the bumper at Southall so um, if that if that wins he will secure a 15 grand payout having been bought through our sale so you know it's plenty of incentive for people to enter on our site and and people to purchase to have an opportunity to buy these uh, to buy these horses that qualify for big bonuses well, thanks to Will, thanks to all my guests on a busy show today, and particularly to Lydia, who has a tip for you. Yes, I'm going to air for the Rothersey Stakes, that's the 320, and I'm going to suggest that Achille Louise could win that. There are horses in the field that maybe have got some better form, but I think she's progressing all the time, and I was particularly impressed with her seasonal debut bid, her second behind Soto Sizzler at Epsom that is really really solid form it suggested that she's improved from three to four and I think that she can get some black type and probably win this listed event good luck with her uh, and I will uh, be back again tomorrow from Baltimore look forward to it uh, that was Wednesday May the 18th bye-bye you've been listening to Nick Luck Daily Brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.